So last week we um, learned about the um, basics of Nevoah, what Nevoah means, what prophecy means, and what are the um, responsibilities that we have toward listening to the prophet, and what are the limitations um, of a prophet. And today, what I would like to do is first of all go through in some more detail the limitation of the prophet, which in general comes under the heading of loy bashomayim hi, that um, halacha is not determined by um, any sort of outer-worldly uh, communication, including prophecy, and um, discuss a little bit of detail about that, and then if there's time afterwards, um, we can review some interesting episodes and stories which are recounted of Ruach HaKadosh um, throughout the Gemara and the time of the Rishonim, etc. So, um, we'll start off with reading a few Gemaras. Now, um, actually another couple of introductions over here. In general, we find different types, different, different um, terminologies used for divine communication. Of course, we talk about Nevoah, prophecy. Actually, the word nevuah is the, the the root of the word has to do with speaking because the 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 navi the navi the prophet is a preacher. He comes to preach the word of uh, the word of Hashem. Um, we also have the term ruach hakodesh. Ruach hakodesh literally means holy spirit or yeah, divine spirit, holy spirit, which when you're zooming in and sort of in the micro, ruach hakodesh is a lesser level. That a lower level than Nevoah. In other words, it's um, perhaps with less intensity or less often or less clear, whatever. You know, we mentioned last week the different levels of prophecy that, you know, even that Moshe Rabbeinu was more superior than the other prophets. And even within the other prophets, Shmuel was a much greater prophet. You know, the way the Rambam terms it is that just like when it comes to Chachma, to a, a clever person, to, to, to a wise person, you can have somebody who's more clever or less clever. They're both clever, but they're stupid people, and then within clever people, there's different levels. So the same is true with prophecy. The degree, um, the nature of their communication with Hashem, or rather Hashem's communication with them, um, varies. So Shmuel is a higher level, and then the later on the VM of Chagas Chaim Alachi, or a lower level. Then you have Ruach HaKodesh, which, again, is, does fall under the general umbrella term of Nevoah, um, but it also... Um, has a, it, but it's a lower level. We also have, um, for example, the Urim V'tumim. The Urim V'tumim was the communication with the Choshen, with the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, which, at least in the times of the Mishkan and in the first place in Mikdash, was Sha'alei V'mishpat Urim V'tumim, that they would ask under certain circumstances, there was a warrant for them to ask questions to the Kohen Gadol who would um, answer based on the Urim V'tumim, that the certain letters in the Choshen would light up, and like the Marishonim explained, that even though the letters light, lit up, um, and you had all the 22 letters of the Aleph base on the Choshen, the Koyen Gadol still had to be um, absorbed by Ruach HaKodesh in order to be able to decipher it, right? Just because you have letters, which order do you place the letters, um, etc. Um, we also have um, Okay, we also have dreams. Now, we'll see that it's complicated, but certainly um, 
dreams were considered, and throughout the Gemara there's numerous stories of where we see that dreams are considered to be, uh, that not considered, that there were dreams which were um, by divine communication, and a lot of what we're talking about today is actually going to be based on that. Um, one of the, I'll just mention one example that's explicit, is um, in the Megillah. We all know the story of the Megillah. So uh, on the beginning of chapter 4 of the Megillah, it says, that Mordechai knew everything that had transpired. How did Mordechai find out about the private conversations between Haman and Achashverosh? So Rashi says, the Baal HaChaloim, the master of the dream. So it's that, call it angel, let's say the angel that communicates with the tzaddikim via dream told Mordechai that this decree had been accepted on high because they had uh, bowed to the idol of the Vuchanetzar, because they had benefited from the feast of Ahasuerus, etc. So that's just one reference, which is from a familiar story, to this concept of Baal HaChaloim. Again, Chaloim being a dream, being a lower level, even than perhaps Ruach HaKodesh, but still under the general umbrella concept of Nevuah, of communication from the divine to human. Um, there's also um, we, there's also there's uh, we, we have uh, throughout history there's recordings of people who had a teacher come from a higher world, be it an angel or be it a person who was uh, who had passed many years ago, um, who came to teach them. The two famous ones are the Beis Yosef, the Beis Yosef, who's the author of the Shulchan Aruch had a teacher who came, an angel, a teacher who came to teach him. He called him the Magid, and he had, there's actually a Sefer. And the name of the Sefer is... Just slipped my mind. I forget. Akiva, do you remember the name of the Sefer, the Magid of Bish Yosef? The Magid of Bish What's the Bish Yosef Sefer where he talks about the things that the Magid taught him? Um, I'm embarrassed that I don't remember. Let's quickly Google this. Um, I am. Magid uh, Mesharim. Right? The Beis Yosef has a statement called Magid Mesharim. What? I just said that. You did? I guessed it. I didn't hear. Okay. The Beis Yosef has a statement called Magid Mesharim. If you go into Joseph Cairo on Wikipedia and you click on the Magid Mesharim, um, the Magad Meisharim, 1646, is a mystical diary in which Cairo, during a period of 50 years, recorded nocturnal visits of an angelic, angelic being, his heavenly mentor, the personified uh, Mishnah. Okay. Um, also, um, in by Chassidim, we have the tradition that the Baal Shem Tov had a teacher who, Achiyah HaShiloini, Achiyah HaShiloini was... Um, I forget exactly where on the tra- on, on the order of Sayyid Hadiris he comes, but he's quite early on. Maybe he was a student of Shmuel Hanavi or somewhere back there, and that he used to come and learn with the Baal Shem Tov. So there's that method as well. And then another important one is Baskel. Baskel literally, we tr- well, Baskel literally means the daughter of a voice. But we translate Baskel as meaning a heavenly voice, and there's many, many stories throughout the Gemara of heavenly voices. We actually have it in Pirkeyovus, also reference to a heavenly voice. Um, why is a heavenly call, voice called a baskel, a daughter of a voice? So there are a number of approaches to this, um, but um, 
one of the uh, uh, suggestions given by Tosus is that the baskel, the daughter of a voice, is what we would call in English an echo, right? When you make a noise and there's a, an, a sound, an effect of that noise, it's a, a side effect of that noise, of a resounding noise, that is called the daughter of the voice, sort of the secondary voice. And the reason why the baskel is called a secondary voice is because Again, it was a diminished level of prophecy where they didn't hear the, the, the direct voice, but they heard sort of an echo or an offshoot of the actual, quote, prophetic voice. Um, and that's only heard by prophets? Again, no. It's, it, it, it appears from this, from, from men. It, in Pirkei it talks about the heavenly voice that go, emerges every day, and we know the famous teaching of the Baal Shem Tev, that what's the point of this teaching if we don't hear it, but actually that the Avon Shama does hear it, and sometimes a person may out of nowhere get a Hisoyrus, be uh, aroused and inspired to, 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 to better to do Teshuvah, and that's a result of his Neshama hearing the Basco. But that's, but, but in the Gemara there's numerous stories, and again, depending on the time, we'll see how many we could review, but it seems clearly in the Gemara that the Basco was something that everyone present heard. So, it's, again, it's not the same level as prophecy where Hashem comes to you, right? But it is a form of communication from Hashem to human. Now, um, again, whether or not and to what extent all of these things still exist or still can exist today, um, we'll have to see how much time we have. Definitely, there's a lot to say about that, but I want to first go to the more, um, to, to the sort of the halachic aspect of it. Okay. So, <coughs> let's read a couple of Gemaras over here. First of all, I'm going to read a Gemara from Tamura. Tamura, Dach Tazayin, Amadalaf, Tamura 16a. Gufa, Amar of Yehuda, Amashmol, Shloishas, Alafim, Alachas, Nishkechu, Bimei, Avlish, Amesha. In the days that the Jewish people were mourning over the death of Moshe Rabbeinu, 3,000 Halachas were forgotten. Amru, Leili, Yehoshua, Sha'al. So they told um, Yehoshua, he's the new prophet, ask Ask Hashem what the what what, what, the, what are these halachas that we've forgotten? Ask him. Amr Luhu Loibashamaim he says Shmuel said, No, I can't ask Hashem because that's prophecy. And Torah is Loibashamaim. Torah was given once through Moshe Rabbeinu, through the prophet of Moshe, but then afterwards, Torah is only to be accessed and halacha is to only to be determined through the tools with which the Torah itself dictates, which let's say um, we could summarize them as the 13 principles which we say every morning and the various other tools which we have um, with which to expound and understand the Torah those are the exclusive tools with which to understand the Torah and prophecy um, is, uh, is of no value um, then later on they said to Shmuel Hanavi um, why don't you ask Hashem why don't you ask Pasuk says, these are the mitzvahs that Hashem commanded Moses, these are no others. No prophet is allowed to introduce any new mitzvahs. Okay, and then the Gemara continues, and in the end it says that Osniel ben Kenaz was able to um, uh, revive some of the halachas that were forgotten through, not through prophecy, but through due diligence, sort of through, through using the, the tools that we have. Okay, but Akapanam, what we see from that Gemara is, Torah lo'i bashamayim hi, Torah is not, it cannot be determined by prophecy. So, in other words, had Hashem told Yehoshua these are the 3,000 halachas that were forgotten, they would be irrelevant. We wouldn't have to keep those halachas because Torah itself says, Torah is not 
in heaven. Um, elsewhere, in a number of places, you have a Gemara, you have a Chulin, uh, but it's in other places as well, where there's an expression, and we saw this last week quoted by the Rambam in his introduction to the Mishnah, that Ilu Amra li Yehoshua Benun Mishmei or Mishmaya, depends how you read that. Loi Tzaisinalei. Even if Yehoshua Benun, the context is that two Amiraim in the in the Gemara are debating an issue, and then they say to each other that even if Yehoshua Benun himself would tell me this, I wouldn't believe him. Now there are, as we'll see later, two ways to understand this statement. But the Rambam, the way the Rambam understands this statement is that even if Yehoshua Benun prophesied and said. We're debating about whatever the halacha is, and Yeshua Benun would prophesy and say that such and such is the halacha. I wouldn't accept it from him. I would still agree with my uh, with my opinion because prophecy is of, is of no relevance. And as we saw last week, the way the Rambam termed this, that even if you have um, a thousand prophets um, saying one prophecy, but then you have a thousand and one say, yeah, we go, but, sorry, even if you have a thousand prophets who are saying that they think the halacha is such and such, not necessarily, not from prophecy, from because they're using their Torah, and you have a thousand and one saying otherwise, we follow the majority, and we don't say that they're more significant because they're prophets. Another halacha, where we see that um, diva- that otherworldly or, or, or not let's let, let's just let's let's perhaps use the words non-scientific communication is of irrelevance um, when it is irrelevant when it comes to halacha is the Gemara in Sanhedrin which is also brought in the Rambam in Shukhan Aruch uh, I'm not sure if it's in Shukhan Aruch but it's certainly in the Rambam if a person was disturbed about money that his father had left him. In other words, his father passed, and he knew that his father has a chest of money hiding somewhere, and he can't find it. And he wants to find his inheritance. And, some, and he had a dream in which the Baal HaChaloim said to him, if I recall correctly, when the Rambam says this, it may even say that his father himself came to him in the dream, I'm not sure. And he told him, this is exactly how much money there is in the chest. And this is where they are hidden. And it is money of Maishasheni, money of Maishasheni, of the second tithe, which has to be taken up to Yerushalayim to eat it there. This story actually happened. So there was a person whose father died, he knew there was a money somewhere, he couldn't find the bank account, and some, either his father or someone else, he had a dream which told him, this is where you're going to find the money, this is exactly how much money it is, but know ye that you shouldn't just eat that, use that money here, you have to take it and buy fruit, food with it and eat it in Jerusalem. And what was the psak? We, the, the words of dreams are are inconsequential. So it happens to be that, they, that you had a dream which told you the exact amount of money and you found the money at exactly the spot under the tree that he told you would be buried. That's fine. You need not concern yourself with the fact that the dream told you that they were Maishasheni and must be eaten in Yerushalayim. You can eat them and treat it as regular Chulin um, mundane, not 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 sacred, not sacred money. Why? Because your own because halacha, in other words, treating this money with the halacha with the sanctity of ma'aseheni, cannot be determined by this non-scientific mode of communication that you were told in the dream. That seems like you're picking and choosing. You're used the non-scientific uh, uh, information, you know, to find the money. But oh well, forget about that. It's, it's not good enough to 
to qualify me to, uh, to give for tzedakah. Precisely. Because essentially what we're saying is, what, it's, it's, it's what we seem to be saying is, that, that we're not saying that the words of the dream are not true. We're saying that as far as halacha is concerned, you need not concern yourself with them. The same thing with, Mo- with Yehoshua. Yeah? They came after Moshe and Rabbeinu died, they forgot the 3,000 halachas. And they came to Yehoshua and they said, ask God, right? And what did Yehoshua say? Right? What if, if Yehoshua would have asked Hashem and Hashem would have told them what the 3,000 things are? We would say, we're not deni- those are indeed the 3,000 things, we're not, we're not accusing you of lying. But that's irrelevant. We don't have to keep those halachas because we would. We, the, halacha is only takes into account that which was communicated through Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah, or through things which were deduced um, uh, with the tools that the Torah itself dictates dictates can be used to decipher the Torah. Okay. Um, now I'm presenting sort of a very black and white picture, we'll see soon that the matter is not so simple at all, but for the... Uh, okay. Um, so then we have the Rambam codifying this, and the Rambam bas- basically seems to take the approach that I've just presented to you. We, we sort of read it last week from the Rambam's introduct- introduction to the Mishnah. The Rambam is also in his Mishnah Torah, in his Halachic magnum opus, in the ninth chapter of Hilchus Yisoyedi HaTorah. Um, I believe uh, in the one chapter a day, you probably learned that fairly recently. Um where he says that the Torah can never change, and if a Navi tells us to change anything from the Torah, um, it's no good. And then in Halacha Dalad of chapter 9, he says, If the Navi says that Hashem told me, I had a prophecy, I had a vision from God, and Hashem told me that the halacha is such and such. There is a machloikas about uh, between Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam. Rashi says the order of the tefillin are one, two, three, four. Rabbeinu Tam says it's one, two, four, three, or whatever. Yeah. And one day we have a prophet, and he says to me, "I had a pro- prophecy, and Hashem told me that the halacha is like Rashi, or the halacha is like Rabbeinu Tam." Says the Rambam, if a prophet makes such a statement. He is a false prophet and must be strangled to death. Because just by him claiming that Hashem prophesied, to, that he prophesied with a directive for halacha, um, ipso facto means that he is a false prophet. Even though he performs wonders. Because his prophecy is coming to um, negate or to deny the Torah, which clearly says that Torah is not leba shemaim, he is not determined through um, non-scientific means. Okay. If the story would end there, it would be a very nice story. However, um, however, um, it's not so simple. So let's read some more Gemaras. Um, there is a Gemara which says as follows. This Gemara is to be found in Erevin Dafyud Gimel Amit Beis, Erevin 13b. Amar Rava Amar Shmuel Shali Shanim Nechul Kuku B'Shamer Misel. So we know that the the two um, most famous and uh, perhaps even stereotypical machloikas um, disputes throughout the Talmud, throughout the Mishnah and the Talmud are the Shabbai and Hillel, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. Um, and they have numerous machlekesen, hundreds of machlekesen. And for three years, 
the, the, the sort of well, presumably the machlokes span for more than three years. But uh, the, 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 the the way I understand this means that for th- they, they were trying to determine, okay, what are we going to do with all these halachas? We have to make a, we have to ha- come to a decision. The halacha is such. The halacha is such, right? So for three years, Bisham and Bishil were arguing. Each school claimed that the halacha should follow their school of thought. Yatsa Baskoil, a heavenly voice emerged. Both these and those are the words of the living God, which is a phrase which we're probably familiar with from Chassidus, and of course, um, there's much to be explained. What does that mean? How could two dissenting opinions both be true? Right? Either. Um, there's a machlekes between Bisham and Bishilal when you make Kiddush on Friday night are you supposed to first say and then say which is the way we do it or Bishamay say that first you say the bracha of Kiddush and then you say so how could they both be true how could that's a very important discussion which is not for now but the, says the heavenly voice they're both true they're both the words of the living God but the halacha is like Beis Hillel who heard this heavenly voice so it appears that uh, th- there was this big base medrash where all the leader, Jewish leaders were there debating for three years and it appears that everybody heard this voice that's what it appears um, again, there are. Uh, we have time afterwards. I could read you many, many stories of heavenly voices which appear in the t- which stories which appear in the Talmud, and for many of them, it seems very clear that everyone present heard them. Um, uh, in general, we <coughs> there is the. Co- it's also explicit in the Talmud that the generations decline. The concept of Yeridus Hadaris, the decline of the generations, and that. Um, there was a time when prophecy more or less stopped, but it still um, sort of continued sporadically. There were uh, some degrees of prophecy, of heavenly voices, of Ruach HaKadosh later on, and that also sort of fizzled out. So it's not to, we, we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that we don't hear heavenly voices because we are very equus of the Mashiach with a much lower neshamas. Um, th- this is not this is this is not strictly mystical. I mean, the, 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 these concepts are explicit in the in the Gemara and in the Rishonim. Of course, it's elaborated on um, much more in mystical and Hasidic teachings. Again, not really the discussion for today. Okay, so that's one Gemara. So again, the heavenly voice came out and said, Halacha ke The Halacha is like Beisil. According to what we've said until now, why would, A, w- of what relevance is the Baskel, and B, why would there be such a Baskel? Like, even if we're going to say, okay, we'll ignore the Baskel, why would Hashem make such a heavenly voice come, if not because we're supposed to pay heat attention to it? Just to confuse you a little bit more, I told you before that the story of the guy who f- whose father ca- who had the dream about where the money was. So the Chaste David, which is a commentary on the Tesefta, says that you have to read the Gemara carefully. It says, This is a person who was disturbed. He knew that there was a treasure chest. He knew that there was an inheritance. And he, was, he, was, he couldn't find it. Right? Um, but if it was completely meaning he knew nothing about any money. He, his father died, and if only knows, that's it, it's done. And one day his father comes to him in a dream and he says, you should know, I left you a treasure trust and it's at this um, thing. Then he would have to treat the money as maister if that's what the dream said. And the reason is simple. He says, your dreams are, 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 are uh, 
uh, are an effect of what you think about during the day. So he's been mitzayed the whole day. He was thinking, I wish I could find the money. So he had a dream, but uh, but if it was completely sort of out of the blue, so then he would have to again. Of course, the Rambam is not uh, uh, doesn't wouldn't accept. Uh, uh, certainly has no, yeah, it would seem that the Rambam would not accept that interpretation of the Talmud, but we got to put that into the salad to spice up the conversation over here. Okay, let me read you another Gemara. This is a very famous Gemara. It's actually quoted in many, many Maimorim of Chesidus also because of the end of the Gemara, but it's a very, very important and famous Gemara. Tanan Hassan. This is a Gemara above Metziah, Dafnun Tess, um, at the bottom of. 59a and on to 59b where it talks about an oven which was com- sort of like a puzzle it was comprised of different pieces and uh, there was a, it's a question in the laws of Tumah and Tara, the laws of spiritual purity and impurity of, of utensils which anybody who's ever learned Tilchus Kalim in the Rambam and the Mishnah knows that they are um, exceedingly complicated especially because we, we most of the utensils they talk about are not things that we still have nowadays so it's like talking about things that are taken for granted assuming knowledge that we don't necessarily have um, but there was a machloikas about this oven um, which is known as the Tanush al-Achnoi the oven of Achnoi and Ach- whatever, for whatever reason, fine and Abelazah says it's um it's it's tahir, it's pure. And the Chachamim says that such an oven would be impure. There was a big debate. And that day, there was, was a big debate between Rebelezer on the one hand and all the other sages in the Mishmedish on the other hand. And Rebelezer was fighting to say that this oven is tahir, pure, and the, the others were saying it's impure. They did not accept from him, they did not agree to his logic. Rebelazah said, if the halacha is like me, this carob tree will prove it. A miracle happened, and the carob tree uprooted itself and moved a hundred cubits, or some say four hundred cubits. They said, that was impressive, dude, but... No, they didn't say that. They said, I'm sorry, the carob tree going for a dance doesn't prove that the halacha is like you. So he said to them, if the halacha is like me, this, um, this river will prove it. And suddenly the river started flowing backwards. He said, they said to him, I'm sorry, rivers flowing backwards don't determine halacha. Then he said, um, if the halacha is like me, may the walls of the base medrash prove it. He took um, the walls of the base medrash started to lean in and they were about to collapse. Gar behem Rabbi Yeshua, so Rabbi Yeshua, who in this Gemara is portrayed as the representative of the other side of the debate, he, Gar, he literally screamed at, at the walls, Rabbi Yeshua said to them, if Talmidech and Chamim are uh, wrestling with each other in Halacha, why are you getting involved? Why are you picking it and mix out? It's not your business. So the walls stopped and they did not cave in because in the respect of Rabbi Yeshua who told them to mix out. But they didn't go back to their original position because out of respect to Rabbi Lazar. 
And the Gemara says they are still standing in that leaning position. Rebbelezer was desperate at this point, and he said that if the halacha is like me, may heaven prove it. A heavenly voice came out, and said, Why are you um, debating Rebbelezer, whom the halacha always follows? The halacha is always like Rebbelezer, all you, all y'all, mix out. Just listen to him. Omar stood on his feet for Omar, slammed his fist on the table, and he said, What did he say? Come on. Torah doesn't follow, um, it doesn't go by the heavens. What does this mean? Torah was given at Harsinai. We pay no attention to the heavenly voice. Then the Gemara um, finishes off, and I'll just read this line because it's very famous. From it's, I'm sure you've accounted this in, in uh, learning Chassidus. met Hanavi. What was Hashem doing when all of this was going on? Uh, when this happened, Hashem was smiling and saying, my children have um, been victorious over me. In other words, I, so to speak, Hashem, was all for Rebbelezer's opinion, and I did all these miracles until I even did the Baskel. But yet, my children won. They're right. Heavenly voices don't count because right? Now, So what's going on over here? Why, if if we pay no attention to the to the heavenly voice, so why was there a heavenly voice? And why, why was a Belezer? Uh, clearly, Rebelezer thought that Rebelezer thought that the heavenly voice would be relevant. Otherwise, why did he invoke it? Right, and. The same is true with the story of Hillel and Shammai. And the story of Hillel and Shammai, Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai, is even more confusing, because there, it indeed appears that they were debating until the heavenly voice came out and said, and that indeed remained the case, that in all but a handful of cases, in all of the hundreds of machlikas in between Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai throughout Shas, with an exception of, I think it's six cases, we pa- or maybe, I forget if it's six or eighteen, but with an exception of a handful of cases, we paskin like Beis Hillel in accordance with the heavenly voice. So what's going on over here? So Toysus, I believe this Toysus appears in more than one place, but the way I have it in my notes, it's from Yivomis Tafyudal Adamad Aleph, Yivomis 14a. Toysus say, um, that one second. Uh, Tosis poses the question as as follows. Tosis says, "Well, what's the difference between these two baskels? Why is it that the baskels of Hillel we do follow, and the baskel of in other words, Tosis is not getting into the more fundamental question of what's the point of the baskel and how does this fit with all the all what we said before from the Rambam about prophecy." 
and possibly Tosus will have a bit of a different approach to that whole concept, which we'll see. But the Tosus says, we have two Baskels here. One Baskel said the halach is like Rebbe Lezer, and we said, no, Eimashkichim Baskel. And another Baskel said the halach is like Mishilam, and we did follow it. So what's the difference? So Tosus says a number of distinctions, but the most uh, simple one that he says is that the Baskel of Rebbe Lezer didn't, was only Lechvoidai. Rebbe Lezer invoked the Baskel, and he said, if I'm right, let the heavens prove it. So to, uh, as a sign of respect to Rebbe Lezer, um, w- 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 the heavenly voice came out. But, doesn't uh, change the fact that and therefore the Halacha doesn't follow the Baskel. But with regards to Hillel, nobody invoked it. It was spontaneous. There was a spontaneous basket that said the halach is like Basil. And because it was spontaneous, um, so we don't, um, so then that, that's why we do follow it. The problem is, if we're going to, and this, this question is asked by the Kasef Mishnah. The Kasef Mishnah, whom, by the way, I always like to remind everybody, the Kasef Mishnah, the commentary on the Rambam, one of the classical commentaries that's printed inside the book of the Rambam, around the margins, is the same author of the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Cairo, who we said before has the Magad Meisharim, who had an angel who came to teach him for 50 years. So the Kasef Mishnah asks on the Rambam, he says, um, he says, he says, how could the Rambam say, how could the Rambam say that a prophet can't even say that the pro- can't, can't even prophesy that the halacha is in accordance with so-and-so, right? Let's say I gave the example before, Rashi, Rabbi Natam. If that's the case, what is it, um, if that's the case, um, why was there a basco for Hillel? And the Rambam couldn't use the answer of Tesis. Again, it's a little bit complicated here, bear with me. What's Tesis saying? Why, was, why do we follow the Baskal of, he says, follow the Baskal of Hillel, Rebbe Lezer, we don't follow because that was a Baskal that was invoked by Rebbe Lezer. So therefore we could argue that that Baskal was only there to honor him, but we don't paskin based on it. We don't determine the halacha based on it. But the Baskal of, Hill, of Hillel, which was spontaneous, we could follow. According to the Rambam, that's completely irrelevant. The Rambam says, even if the hal- Novi says the right halacha, let's say, the example I gave before is Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam. Now, we all know that the halacha is like Rashi, that the, tfil- the order of the tefillin is like Rashi. Our custom is to also do the opinion of Rabbeinu Tam. But the strict halacha is that the tefillin of Rashi, that's why we don't say a bracha on Rabbeinu Tam, we say the bracha on Rashi tefillin, right? Says the Rambam, if a prophet would come and say, I had a prophecy from God that the halacha is like Rashi, so he's telling the truth. The halacha is like Rashi. Nevertheless, because he attributed it to prophecy, he's put to death. He's a false prophet. He's lying. So, clearly the answer of Toysus that wouldn't work, according to the Rambam. Toysus says that because it was spontaneous, who cares if it's spontaneous or invoked? According to the Rambam, prophecy and halacha are two complete separate tracks, never the twain shall meet, and the Rambam seems to really be um, uh, stuck between a, a rock and a hard place. Is everybody with me on the question over here?
So what I would like to do now, it's 9.40, what I would like to do now is suggest one possible um, answer to the Rambam, and then move on to share with you some more stories and episodes which clearly indicate that other Paskim had a very different approach to this than the Rambam, and see where that takes us. So I found, uh, we have uh, my other hard drive, where you have uh, tens of thousands of searchables for him. So you put in some keywords and you find some interesting things. So I found a say from the Rambam that suggests as follows. Uh, kind of take it or leave it, but I think it's an interesting, it's, it's, it's worth reading. He says like this, I don't understand what the problem is. The Rambam says that when a prophet says that, when a prophet prophesizes that um, that I that the halacha is like so and so. Again, let's use our example that the halacha is like Rashi tefillin. He is a Navi Sheker. What does Navi Sheker mean? He's lying. He says God told me such and such. He is lying. God did not tell him such and such. And even if he does some wonder, so we attribute that wonder to some other powers, not to prophecy and to mir- divine given miracles, to some magic or. Or sleight of hand, or whatever it is. And in the words of the Rambam, in the next halacha, which we didn't read earlier, therefore we will know Bavada with certainty that he is a lie, he is a false prophet. Everything he did was with magic. Can we strangle him? Says the author over here, whom I forget who it was, he says, whereas when it comes to the heavenly voice, for example, the heavenly voice that declared that the halacha follows Beis Hillel, the there was no doubt uh, uh, to the veracity, uh, uh, to the truth of this Pascal, because everybody heard it. Right? When a prophet comes and says, I have a prophet, so if he's an established, if he has his established prophetic credentials, which we described last week what they are, so, so we believe him. Unless he says something which the Torah tells us that it can't be, so then we know he's lying. But here, everybody heard it. So, the, the, the question, the problem that the Kess of Mishnah puts when the Rambam is how could there have been a heavenly voice? You, the Rambam, no, says, again, this, I'm sorry, this anonymous author, says, no, it, 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 prophecy is one thing, heavenly voice is something else. Prophecy, we know that he's going to be lying. Prophetic voice, um, a, 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 a heavenly voice could indeed happen and everyone Says the but, however, what, what, what is the problem? The problem is... The, the, problem, the problem isn't that the heavenly voice is like, we heard it. The problem is, what, what is the point of it? If the principle are that halacha is determined with the tools of the Torah, not with, not with prophecy, so what's the point of the, uh, of the baska? So he says, no. Why is a prophet not allowed? What's the reason? Let's go a little bit deeper. We, we, we keep on saying and reiterating this sort of blanket ruling. A prophet is not allowed to um, change the Torah. Why not? Because, so, again, what, what he argues over here, and to be honest, this doesn't necessarily fit with the approach of Chassidus to this, but I'll say it for what it's worth. He says that, basically, it's the slippery slope syndrome. Because, because at the end of the day maybe there'll be one maybe there'll be once a prophet who is has who has uh, forged credentials and uh, and, and then 
one person says the prophet and then everybody has to listen to him, it's, it's, it's not a sustainable thing and it could lead to all sorts of confusion and therefore the Torah says, we're just going to nip it in the bud, we're not going to do this, right? However, when it's a... When it's a heavenly voice, um, he says two things. Number one, um, everybody hears it, so there's no there's, there's less concern for confusion. And number two, and this is really important, and we'll see, yeah, this is really important. He says, even after the heavenly voice, the heavenly voice doesn't, in and of itself, um, dictate or determine the halacha. At the end of that day, the halacha is determined by the chachamim with the with the, <coughs> with the, um, how do you call it? With the method, method, methodology that the Torah dictates. In other words, you you have a rabbi you have a you, you have a count and you follow the majority. Now it could be that the majority opinion will be swayed by the baska by the heavenly voice, but we're going to pass in that way because the majority voted that way, not because of the heavenly voice. So he says, if a prophet, if we would allow prophets to come and say the halacha is like so-and-so, so then the prophet would come and say the halacha is like Rashi, and everybody would have to listen to him, right? Here, the heavenly voice, you don't have to listen to the heavenly voice, and the heavenly voice came and said halacha kibes hilal. Had the sages at the time says no, we're still, decided to say, no, we're still passing like Bishamai, then we would pass like Bishamai. As they indeed did, in the, did, as they indeed did in the other case, where the where the Baskel said that the halacha is like Rebbelezer, and they said nevertheless we're not paying attention to the Baskel. Now, what's the difference? Why in this case they did listen to the Baskel, in that case they didn't listen to the Baskel? So there are other suggestions that are made. Whether some say because. Um, because like we saw before, Tosis says it was invoked versus spontaneous. Others make other differences that it was, um, it was in, in, in that case it was against the Torah. Because in that case the majority were the other other side, and the Torah says explicitly, Achri Rabbim is to follow the majority. Whereas in Bishilal and Bishamai, the majority were on the face side of Bishilal. But nevertheless, there was some doubt that maybe we should follow Bishamai, as the Gemara there elaborates, because Bishamai were more sharp than Bishilal, and so there was a question as to whether or not the Torah principle of following the majority is relevant in that case, and that's what the, the, the Baskal accomplished, or other differences. Th- there are ways to differentiate, but essentially the bottom line, the, the, the point is that so long as the Baskal is not determining the halacha, even though it may be a, a, a and what's determining the halacha is the, the majority count, and even though the Baskal may sway the opinion of the majority, that's the difference, says this author, between the Baskal, which is okay, and the prophecy, which is not okay. Now, however, however, there are other places in the Gemara, and certainly in Rishonim, where uh, it, 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 w- there does seem to be even more uh, r- reckoning with some sort of prophecy as a factor in determining halacha, and let me just go through a couple of them. Um, first of all, it's a, a few places in the Gemara you have, um, it seemed to be taken for granted that the reason we paskin like Basilel is because of the Baskel, not just because that was the majority count after the Baskel, but that the Baskel was, it, 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 I don't know if it's explicit, but it's certainly implicit in numerous places in the Gemara that the Baskel is the reason. Like we paskin like Basilel, Rabbi said, we need some coffee going on over here. Um, and um, here's another story. 
there's a story in Bava Metziah, Daf Kuf Yudalud, where it says that Rabbi Baravua met Eliyahu Hanavi in a cemetery of Gentiles, uh, in, a, in an Andrew cemetery. And he asked him some questions. One of the questions uh, he asked him about um, how could Eliyahu uh, Hanavi is Pinchas, Eliyahu is a Koyan, how could he be in a cemetery? And he told him, well, it depends if it's a Jewish cemetery or not. And then there were three different halachas that he said over there. And we find that the Sefer HaChinuch, which is interesting, the Sefer HaChinuch, um, when he talks about one of those halachas that Rabbi Baravua discussed with Aliyah and Avi, he says it's in Parshas Bukhukhesa Mitzvah Shin Nun, Mitzvah 350 in the Sefer HaChinuch. And he says, um, uh, that even though Rabbi Yaakov some some of the Amiroim passed in one way. Nevertheless, we passed in the other way. Why? Because once Eliyahu Hanavi passed, we don't uh, we have no more room for hesitation, right? So here there was uh, uh, Rabbi Baravua met Eliyahu Hanavi, who's a pro- a he's a prophet, b he's already passed many years ago, and. Um, Based on that conversation, we seem to be the Sefer Chinuch seems to be determining the halacha. Um, by the way, a very interesting quote—not um, so much for what he says, but more for who says it—is the Meiri. The Meiri is usually um, considered um, considered a, a very much a, a, a rationalist and even more extreme than the Rambam in all these type of things. And in fact, in, 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 uh, in, the, in the modern Orthodox world today, where many of the... Uh, one of the problems that we face today, one of the challenges that we face today, is statements made by Chazal, whether it comes to our, to our interactions with Janta, with Goyim, or other things, which don't suit... Uh, modern sensitivities, and that's a challenge that we have and we encounter it all the time. Um, in the modern Orthodox world, um, specifically when it comes to the questions of interactions with Goyim, they um, are very lenient, and one of their big uh, supports is based on using, or some would argue abusing, a statement from the Me'iri. So, so it, having said that, I find it interesting that the Me'iri, in his introduction to Pirkei Avis, he says, Sometimes there were things which could not, could not be term- determined exclusively one way or the other by logic. So then what they had to do was they would follow the majority. That's the principle of Acharam Lahatis. And then he adds, Sometimes prophecy would determine for them the quandrums. How do you say that word? Uh, quandrums? Yeah, that one. Um, so, uh, um, right. So again, it's not clear to me exactly from the context of what. Na- and I, it's a very long introduction. I didn't read the whole thing, but I, I did sort of skim read it. It's not clear to me exactly the context, but clearly the Meiri does seem to be saying that there are certain things which we could either be determined by count and following the majority or by prophecy. So, very. Um, shaky ground, certainly according to the Rambam. And if you want me to spice this up a little bit more, I like this one. One case, this is not directly determining halacha, but it's one epic halacha where we see that the Rambam, um, where are you up to in the one chapter a day? 
What are you learning about? I'm just check on my, on my phone off. Um, have you done, finished the laws of Torah study yet? We're doing that now. Which chapter? It seems like you finished it. It says today is chapter ch- chapter two of the laws of idolatry. Is, yes. that, is that correct? Yeah, we do. We so you finished the laws of Torah study, I think, because Torah study is before idolatry, I think, right? Chapter two of Avodas Kachavim, right? Yeah. So this is a quote which you've which was for Friday's Rambam of. Um, of uh, of one chapter a day cycle, where it says in Tor- Laws of Torah Study, chapter seven, halacha twelve, whenever a person dreams that he was placed under a ban of excommunication, even if he knows who issued the ban, ten people who are proficient in Torah law are required to release him from the ban. Right. So even though usually if somebody has been put in a nidoy, there are easier ways to annul it. But if he was placed in the ban in a dream, then he needs to get a minion. He needs to get ten people to annul it. So that is one interesting quote where the Rambam himself gives um, uh, um, significance, um, halachic significance, to something which was communicated um, by a dream. Now, okay, of course, there's many more examples. Now, w- one of the most uh, famous examples is a sefer by the name of Shalos Utsuvis Min Hashemayim. Raise your hands if you've heard of Shalos Utsuvis Min Hashemayim. Responsor from heaven. Shalos Utsuvis, Responsor Min Hashemayim from heaven. So, Shalos Utsuvis Min Hashemayim is was written, a sefer written, by one of the Bali HaFesos, one of the members of the school of HaFesos. He was uh, Rabbi Yaakov HaChosid. And um, he, uh, he used to be, at one point, the Chidah, the Chidah, Reb Chaim Yosef David Azaloy, a very tremendous Sephardish uh, Goyen, who wrote uh, literally dozens and dozens of Sepharim. Uh, it depends how you count them, because sometimes, um, sometimes there's different sections of Sefer has multiple names, so it's, it's difficult to give, give an accurate count, and it gets a little, into li- little bit of semantics, but if I recall correctly, possibly even more than a hundred Sfarim. Um, and uh, wh- one of his Sfarim, or two or three, of, two or three volumes, called Shema Gdelim, where he goes through sort of uh, authors and t- tells us a little bit about them, so he goes through this, he says it used to be associated with Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam, who was also, we know Rabbeinu Tam from Rabbeinu Tam Tfilin, Rabbeinu Tam was also one of the Bali Ataisvas, and he, his name was also Rabbi Yaakov. So people used to think it was Rabbeinu Tam, it was later deter- it was determined that, it, that it's actually a different Rabbi Yaakov, who lived, um, actually his life, according to the Chidah, in Shem Agdelim, he actually overlapped with the Rambam. He lived, not in, he lived in France, the Rambam was in Egypt, but um, a similar time to the Rambam. And he was, now, uh, until now, we've, we've, mentioned, we've spoken about dreams. Somebody has a dream, 
There's also a concept called Shailas Chaloim. And Shailas Chaloim is that, again, there's a lot, many different recordings of exactly how this practice is done and how to invoke it, etc. But a person could invoke a dream. He could ask a question, and if he behaves in the right way and says the right Kabbalistic meditations or whatever it is, he can actually invoke an answer by dream. It's called asking a shilas chaloim. And, um, and, uh, and Rabbi Yaakov, this Shalashatur's Menshramayim, what he did, he was, he was professional at this. He, he knew how to ask Shailas Chaloim. And he asked many, many questions uh, by dream. And he would get answers. He would get answers by dream. And uh, there's a whole safe for published Shailas Chaloim. Now, Rebruva Margolius, if anybody's been coming to my Sunday class um, but then regularity knows that I'm a big fan of Abraham Margolius. So he published this Sefer with uh, the Shah Sarusman with his own footnotes. And he has a whole 35, 40 page introduction. And actually, um, in, there's a Sikha in this week's Pasha, is Shaiftim, where it talks about prophecy. Um, last week's Pasha also does. Ray and Shaiftim both talk about prophecy. So there's a Sikha from the Rebbe in this week's Pasha, Chelik Yudalat Pasha Shaiftim, where the Rebbe discusses the whole concept of whether or not it's possible for prophecy to exist after the death of Chagas Chaim Alachim, which are, quote-unquote, the final prophets. And, again, a very interesting topic. Uh, perhaps if there's interest, we could talk about it next week. There's a, a even actually very interesting, so, some very interesting statements from the Rambam about that in Igeras Teman, in his letter to the Jews of Yemen. Um, but um, in that Sicha, in one of the footnotes, the Rebbe references to go, he says, go and look at the introduction of Rebbe Magalis, the Shalash where you will see a um, good synopsis of this. Anyway, so the question is, uh, and I'm, I'm sort of thinking, we're running out of time, we started a few minutes late, so maybe we could go a few minutes over, but maybe we should um, continue this next week and go through some more examples. Um, perhaps actually we could do it even tomorrow night as part of the Parsha class, if the Parsha class is able to happen tomorrow night. So we'll determine this all in the near future. But w- the Chidah, you know what? Um, okay, so the Chidah the, the writes about this both in the Shem Abdelim and in a number of other of his Svarim where he writes this. And in fact, he asks another question. He says, um, he, he quotes uh, quotes from the from Rishon, from Rebetzalel, from Aksaviyad, where he says, I don't understand. Um, we know that in the Talmud often there's a question that remains unanswered, and we say teiku. The question remains standing. But it's a well-known tradition that the word teiku stands for tishbi yitarat kushi v'svibayis. That tishbi, which is one of the s- names for Eliyahu Hanavi, will answer these questions. So all these questions remain undetermined. When Mashiach comes, Eliyahu Hanavi will be there, and will answer him all these questions. So, and we'll, he'll answer all these questions. So he asks the question, I don't understand. Throughout the Talmud, we have numerous episodes of recordings of people who met Ali Yohanavi. Why didn't they ask him these questions? How do we know the questions weren't asked? Well, because then why are there still so many takers in the Talmud? Maybe the person that asked the question did like the answers. <laughs> he said, well, I just won't discuss it with anybody. 
Anyway, the, the way the Chidor, the, the Chidor basically, again, he writes about it, like I said, he has dozens of Sfarim, he writes about it in a number of places. The place where he writes about it, I think, with the most elaboration is in Shem HaGdolim, in his biography of authors, um, where he basically says that clearly, it's very clear that uh, many of the Gedolei Rishonim disagreed with the Rambam in his um, absoluteness of this, and that at least... Um, in a case where there's a legitimate na- doubt, and there are no, there is no method for us to determine this with the tools of halacha, whether it's, for example, nowadays where we don't have the Sanhedrin to have account, or in other cases like that, then we can rely on Ruach HaKodesh, and that's why Rabbi Yaakov had the Shah Sashuvas Bin Hashemayim, um, and uh, the, the response from heaven, and that's why uh, and, 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 and numerous other other things. He does make a point um, there is a Ravid the Ravid in his, in his glasses on the Rambam in Hilchas Lulav says we've had in our base medrash Ruach HaKodesh which determines the halacha such and such and we find that the Ramban argues on that Ravid. So he says the Ramban wasn't doubting the truth of the Ravid statement that this was attained with Ruach HaKodesh but yet the Ravid held that it's okay for you to have Ruach HaKodesh and to record that and be convinced by that but that doesn't dictates to me that if I disagree with you that I can't argue on you which is similar to what we mentioned before of that it, one of the approaches that it's okay to have Ruach HaKodesh which can then be taken as a factor but not as a not um, the determining factor. Okay, there's still more um, and some very interesting things to explore um, again, like I said, I'm considering maybe continuing tomorrow evening in the Parsha class or maybe next Sunday um, it is this week's parasha, so perhaps that's an excuse to do it in the parasha class. Um, but I think for now we'll stop here. You know, I'll, I'll just share with you um, an interesting one. The very first two interesting quotes I'll tell you from Shalas and Shuzman Hashemayim. One, which the Rebbe himself and perhaps earlier Rebbe already quoted, is that he was t- he, one, he records that one of the answers, one of the Shalas Kalim that he did, happened on Yutes Kislev, and he writes that they t- part of his answer was that today Yutes Kislev will be a Yoim Besura, will be a day of good news. So of course we know that much many hundreds of years later was the um, day of the celebration of the Alter Rebbe's liberation is in Yutas Kislev. And another interesting thing from Shalos HaTshuvah Sbina Shemaim is I believe it's the very first of his questions is that he asked about the order of the Tefillin of Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam, who, who is correct, and the answer was just like there's a machlokes about it down here, there's a machlokes in heaven, and the yeshiva shalmaila, the heavenly yeshiva, paskin like Rashi, but Hashem paskin like Rabbeinu Tam. Um, so it's a machlokes between the yeshiva shalmaila and Hashem, whatever that means. And this shalos shuzman shemaim was quoted by the Rebbe when the Rebbe, in I believe the mid seventies, um, started campaigning very strongly that everyone from the age of Bar Mitzvah, should um, wear Rabbeinu Tam Tefillin, even if they are not the most pious um, and uh, righteous people, but it's actually something that's relevant to everybody. Um, one of the sources that the Rebbe uh, quoted, not relied on in any way, but something that the Rebbe sort of uh, quote, spoke about then, was this Simon Aleph of Shalos HaShemus Meneshemayim. Okay, we'll stop here, and like I said, um, to be continued um, maybe tomorrow night.